Hello and welcome to our next talk on day four at 1400. Um, it's about Ruby on Rails security, uh, do's and don'ts, and common pitfalls you can trap yourself into and shoot yourself into the foot. Um, please have uh, fun and welcome Jonathan Weiss. Yeah, thank you. Welcome uh, to the talk Ruby on Rails security. Um, just a quick um, notion about who I am. Um, I do a lot of Ruby on Rails work, consulting and code reviews, and also a lot of open source work in this area. So this is basically where my background uh, is about. And we will look today um, basically at the whole Ruby on Rails application stack and follow it uh, from um, setup and deployment of a Ruby on Rails application down to um, the framework code and look at um, information leaks, at possible vulnerabil uh, vulnerabilities, what you can do wrong, what you can do right, basically to secure your Ruby on Rails application. So let's start um, basically at looking about how um, typically Rails applications are set up. So normally, uh, basically, you have a load balancer in the front that is then re um, relaying um, all requests to dynamic application servers and at the back end, um, of course, the database. And you have basically to do this in Rails because Rails is single-threaded. So you have uh, to have to start basically um, a Rails process for each dynamic request that you want to basically uh, handle concurrently. There are two common setups. We have um, the, the, the basically the, the first uh, setup that was used uh, a couple of years ago, um, fast CGI. Um, so basically, you have an Apache or, or late um, Lighty web server in front of um, of your application, and then you you use um, fast CGI to communicate with your backend Rails process. Um, the more common setup uh, today is using Mongrel. So basically, you have Apache um, 2.2 or Nginx or LightHTTPD, and you're basically doing a pure HTTP pro uh, proxying to your backend processes. And your backend processes have full qualified HTTP servers running Mongrel and Rails, but you still have like, uh, like many Rails instances for each concurrent request that you want to handle. So, um, yeah, this is just this, the, the, back, um, yeah, the, the background to know uh, how Rails applications are typically set up. And um, then we will look where, where, where there could have been some problems in the setup. So let's begin with looking at typical information leaks and vulnerabilities that you can find in such setups. At first, um, if you target an application, you want to know, is it a Rails application or is it a PHP application or whatever? Um, um, the first hint are the URLs. So basically, uh, Rails by default gives you um, for all your then, um, static files like slash JavaScripts, application.js, slash JavaScript, prototype.js, or slash images, and then all your images. So this is a hint that it is a Rails application, or the, the pretty URLs as, as they are called. So basically, you have very meaningful URLs in, in, in a typical Rails application. So you have like project show 12 or message create or folder delete 43 and so on. So um, just by looking at the URLs of the application, you, could, you can guess if it's a Rails application or not. But uh, guessing is not enough, so we want to be sure. And uh, one little trick that basically always works is looking at the status pages. So um, Rails provides default status pages um, for um, internal server errors and for the 404 uh, page not found error. So basically, if you use a very common plugin and uh, your, your application um, basically raises a uh, 500 error or 404 error, Rails will, will um, display a default page to the user that says page not found or um, 
internal server error. And those pages are in the public directory of the Rails application. So they're basically publicly accessible by default. So um, you, you cannot only tell if an application is a Rails application by trying to find those, those um, pages, but you can also, also tell which version of Rails it is. For example, um, in Rails 2, they introduced um, a 422 um, HTML page for the um, for XSD9 error. So if you, for example, ever wondered if Twitter is really a Rails application, just get twitter.com slash 500 HTML, and you get the error page that Twitter will show you if you, if you ever really uh, create an internal server error. Or if StrongSpace is a Rails application, just uh, strongspace.com slash 500.html, and you get the error page. 43 people, a different page. Basically, this is the default page for Rails pre-1.2. So we allow, alone by looking at this page, we know that the application was, not re, uh, was either not properly upgraded or is still running on pre-1.2 uh, Rails code. Because after 1.2, the, the default error page would look like this. So basically, you can just guess this, uh, try these URLs at, at the application that you want to target. And if you get a page like this, you know sometimes the explicit version of Rails and basically if it, is it really a Rails application or not. Another um, thing to look at is the server header. If you remember the setup, we had either um, fastCGI in front or Mongol in the backend, basically. So, for example, let's query 43people.com and we get um, Apache 1.3 with mod fastCGI back. So we can, nearly, uh, in, 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 uh, we can nearly precisely say that this is basically running um, Apache in the front and fastCGI process at the backend. And this has different implications if you want to target this, this application. Let's look at um, high-rise from 37 signals. And then you get basically um, not the proxy in front like in, with FastCGI, but you get the backend Mongrel answering you. So you see Mongrel 1.1.1 uh, answering you. And this is an important information because just two days ago there was a vulnerability um, found in Mongrel's uh, version pre 1.2, 1.1.2. Uh, so know that they are running an, um, a vulnerable Mongrel version. So what can you do um, against it? Basically, yeah, disable the server header. Um, easy to do with Apache. I'm not sure how you do it and with Lighty or Nginx. Those are the, basically the, the most common um, Rails proxies or web servers that you, you put in front of your application. Um, but alone it, by looking at the headers, just using a URL, you can pretty much say which version of Rails is the application running. Um, is it using FastCGI or Mongrel? And how are the detailed setups? Another um, thing that is easy to find out is um, the subversion metadata. I would say that, that basically all Rails applications that are looked at are using um, subversion for, for um, source control management, very nice. But um, um, it's also basically the de default setup to deploy those applications with Capistrano or Webistrano. Those are in the Rails with very popular deployment tools where you can basically push new versions uh, automatically on, on many servers. The only problem with it is that in the default configuration that basically 90% of the people are using, you will also push the .svn uh, metadata folders to the server. So the nice thing that you can do then is just query them. So again, strong space, just look up .svn entries, and we get um, the content of the SVN meta files. So we can now know that uh, basically they're running some depreciated version of strong space. Maybe it's not uh, maintained anymore. Maybe, maybe they're not developing it. Um, you also see the last commit from, from which developer. Not really information that you want to put uh, into the public space. How can you protect against it? Um, basically block in your proxy um, 
all .svn um, access attempts. Quite easy to do, but also about 99% uh, of the applications out there are not doing this. So those were basically very simple means to query information um, about target applications. Um, now let's dig a bit deeper into how you can basically mess up your, your setup or what you should know about um, a Rails um, setup. One thing that um, Rails 2.0 introduced is that by default now sessions are stored uh, in a cookie on the client side. Typically before that you would have them um, on, on the file system or in memory or in memcached or something like that. Um, since 2.0 uh, it's by default stored on the client side in a cookie. So you would get um, on the top basically this cryptic string that if you look into the, the cookie on and, and your browser, and what this string is basically is, is just the pure session data encoded in a base64 and um, an HMAC that will ensure validity of this string so that if you tamper with it, the server side will, will see it. But um, the problems with this, with this kind of steps are that basically the user can view the session information in clear text. It's just base64 uh, encoded. Also because you have the, 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 um, the hash on the client side, the client um, can run a brute force attack in, on it. And uh, if it's successful, he basically can um, generate every session data that he wants. He can uh, impersonate an administrator, he can mingle with the session and do basically, basically very, very easily hack your application. Also, uh, even if, if brute forcing the HMAC is not successful, you can um, uh, replay attacks are much more easier because you have basically no means of invalidating the session on the client side uh, by default, um, unless you do something about it. So basically, if you ever store important information like uh, credits left or something like that in the session, a user can just replay this valid session and uh, basically never run out of credits. So what uh, you should uh, do against it is basically don't store important information in the, in the session, should be common sense. Use a really strong password um, for the computation of the HMAC. Uh, by default, Rails um, since sudo forces at least 30 characters, and uh, by default they are randomly generated, so it's pretty secure if you want so. But still, a brute force attack is possible. So if you ever change this uh, default password, uh, use a very long and uh, random one. And uh, you should definitely introduce some kind of server-based session invalidation. So basically, store when, when the last time was that the, the, the user logged in and invalidate or block at, um, further attempts after a certain time because you cannot guarantee that the client-side session will invalidate by itself because a malicious user basically can just um, replay it. Or just switch to another um, session storage. Very easy to do, and um, you should do it if you have basically high security um, concerns. Um, how does it look like? Basically, just a sample output of the default uh, hash, so uh, default password, so you can see um, it's pretty secure by default. So basically, this long string is a default password that Rails will generate um, on, uh, if you create a new Rails application. Another thing that you could do is just force um, HTTPS-only cookies. Um, another common attack at web applications um, is cross-site scripting. So cross-site scripting is basically if you let your users um, input some, some values into your application and you're redisplaying this um, information um, on the web page or in your um, log files or in your administrator um, uh, interface or whatever, they can do nasty things. Basically, they can steal your cookies, so they can then impersonate administrators or do um, or fool other users. So um, 
how, what can you do against it in Rails? So basically, there are two types of um, cases that you have to worry about. Are, you have the case where you basically don't ever want to have formatting in this um, user-submitted um, string, like in search queries and usernames and titles, whatever. And you have the case where you want some kind of formatting, like in a, in a post body, in a wiki page, or where you basically explicitly allow some kind of formatting. So um, the first case is pretty easy to handle in, in Rails. You have the uh, H helper. It's the short for um, HTML escape. And it will basically um, escape all dangerous um, HTML characters and force basically um, a, a plain text um, evaluation of the text. So basically, you're pretty safe by default if you're using this H um, helper method. The only thing is that it's quite easy to forget to use it because you have everywhere you, have, you want to use it, you have to explicitly put H um, around your, your outputs. So um, a nice plugin is safe ERB. It will basically make making, um, calling H the default. So if you ever forget it, it will raise an exception. And if you ever want to explicitly um, output um, possibly malicious um, input, basically you have to untaint the string so that the code will allow you to, to, um, to print it. So you should definitely um, use it if you want to be on the safe side. Um, the other case, if you explicitly want to allow some kind of formatting, is a little bit different and a little bit uh, harder to get right. There are basically two approaches. The first approach is, oh, you, you introduce some kind of, of uh, DSL. So you say, I don't let the user input HTML. I let the user uh, for bulletin tags or red close syntax or the textile or whatever, and it will then convert it to HTML. And the other approach is to basically allow HTML but have a filter that will, that will filter out every unwanted stuff. And in Rails 1.2, you had a blacklist-based um, um, sanitizing for that. Didn't work really good. And uh, since Rails 2.0, you have a whitelist approach to it. So let's look at the first, um, the first step to do it, or the first way if you're using basically something like red clothes or textile or whatever. Um, the problem with that is that it's not really secure because um, their parsers are also not really um, perfect. And for example, Redclose, a very popular um, formatting um, library in Rails, is um, pretty much useless to, to filter HTML because, as you can see, I can just um, links are by default not filtered, even if I, if I tell it explicitly to filter HTML tags. So um, cross-site scripting attacks are still possible. So basically, you have to filter this output anyhow. This uh, basically just leaves you to the, to the other case where you basically have to filter the HTML tags. Since Rates 2.0, it's um, quite easy to do it. Um, you have the sanitized helper function that will construct a dome out of this um, HTML input and will then filter nodes and attributes that are not allowed. Um, but it's really only effective in Rates 2.0 because it's working with a whitelist approach and is um, basically doing all the hacks to convert ASCII and Unicode and and hex um, um, encodings to, to basically clear text and then do the filtering. So if you're using a Rates 1.2 application, you should definitely upgrade or not use the sanitize helper. If you want to be really um, on, the be on, the, on, the, uh, on the secure side, use uh, Tidy to basically pre-process the, the HTML. Um, Tidy is a C library that will um, get every kind of mangled HTML code and construct a real nice XML syntax tree out of it. So if you really want to be on the safe side, run tidy over the input, then do sanitization. Um, another common attack is session fixation, where an attacker basically pre-handles you a link or um, where he basically 
defined the session identifier. So in, in typical PHP application, it's very easy to do because you have oftentimes the session identifier in the URL, like in this example. So if I paste you this string in an iMessager in a mail or whatever, and you click on it, um, we both share the session because I know the session identifier that identifies me to the server. So basically, we share a session. And but therefore, if you are an administrator or you have basically this is your bank account or whatever, I have the same access that you do. And um, what can you do about it? Um, if you only keep keep the the session in the cookies, it's also it's a bit more difficult to do this kind of attack. But you st it's still a viable attack. Um, but at least Rails only uses cookie-based sessions, so it's not vulnerable to this very easy kind of attack where you basically just put the identifier in the URL. But still, you should um, basically reset the session after each login. So what, uh, what you're basically doing is, after the user authenticates, you reset the session, create a new session identifier. So even if the attacker um, node the session beforehand, the session identifier, it's no longer valid. Um, just easy to do, reset session, just call it in your login and logout um, functions. Um, very easy to implement. And I, um, but an important thing to know, if you're using a popular authentication module like uh, RESTful authentication or the, uh, some other generators, they are not doing this. So basically, you are vulnerable to session fixation attacks if you're using the pure plugins. Um, but it's easy to fix, just insert the reset uh, session and wait for the next version of RESTful authentication that will fix this. Um, another common attack and very, very dangerous one is cross-site request forgery. Um, got a lot of press recently because it's really, really um, sophisticated attack that can uh, do a lot of damage. Basically, you visit um, an evil site that has nothing to do with, the, with, with your site, basically. And this site has an image tag somewhere or an iframe or whatever that will just reference a URL of your site. And if you um, have a, a valid cookie on your browser, the, um, you basically your, the, your browser will go to this site, will try to fetch this image, go to mybank.example, uh, account transfer, and basically call this, um, call this uh, URL, issue a request, and because you have a valid cookie, this is um, a valid request. And if you're, having, um, if you're allowing like, like, uh, transferring money with such kinds of requests, you are in big trouble. Um, many people think that basically you can just switch to post, and because posts cannot be injected like in images or iframes and so on, you're on as a safe site, but um, that's not true. You can force um, client-side JavaScript um, request, and uh, thereby basically using only allowing post is a little bit more secure, but it's not really secure. It's just making it a bit harder for the attacker to, to um, craft this kind of request, but it's um, still easy to do. Um, for example, Gmail had, an, had an, a vulnerability like this. So what can you do against it in Rails? Um, since Rails 2.0, by default, all actions um, are protected against um, such kinds of attacks. So basically, by default, Rails um, calls the helper uh, protect from forgery and passes a secret key. And what um, this will do is it will, on, in every post request in, um, that requests um, either HTML or um, AJAX output, it will verify that the post request has a, um, a valid session token. So, and this session token will be put in each, in each form that is generated by Rails and the Rails helpers. So basically, by doing this, you can um, verify that the request is really coming from somebody using your page, because otherwise, he wouldn't have this secure token um, in his session and in the request body. So what will Rails will then do is basically look up the, the, the token in the, in the post and compare it with the token in the session and see if they match. Um, 
by default it's activated, so it's very, very um, good that they did this. You can also um, like customize it, only activate it on certain set, um, actions, certain controllers, and so on. But um, since 2.0, it's activated by default. And if you're not using it, you should, because attacks like I sho just showed you are very, very feasible and very, very easy to do. So um, the thing that you should um, make sure if you're using it is make sure that all your GET requests are um, safe and idempotent, so basically that you don't have requests like I showed before with the image, because by default, Rails will not check GET requests for this um, forgery protection. It will only check POST requests. And also make sure that you invalidate a session token of a certain amount of time because uh, then all your users will get uh, strange errors because Rails will think that um, they fiddled with a session if they don't invalidate like after a couple of days. But um, again, it's very easy to do and Rails has this built in and activated by default. You should definitely use it. Um, another common attack at web applications is uh, SQL injection. I guess everybody heard about it. So, for example, um, I just want to do select star from users where username equals whatever input the user gave me, but he just gave me uh, Peter, a, a Mark, or a one equals one and a comment. And basically uh, broke my authentication if you want. So, how can you basically do something wrong like this in Rails if you pass the parameters directly to the SQL condition? So, this line on the bottom is vulnerable. Um, what you should do instead is always use the escape form. Rails makes it very easy to do this. There are several um, several methods to call it. So basically, you can either um, use an array and question mark wherever you want the parameter and just um, list them at the end. So each question mark will match one parameter. You can also pass in a hash where basically you have the, the attribute that you want to filter on it and the, the value that should be um, user submitted or whatever. You can also do this with arrays. So it's very easy to say, select all categories where category ID is in user submitted area or whatever. And uh, you can even not use question mark, but use really like value identifiers. It's really easy or handy if you have like big, long um, filters and where clauses where it's kind of uh, not easy to know, okay, was this value the first, uh, the, the third question mark or the fourth or the fifth? So you can even use um, this kind of, 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 of lookup, name lookup definition. If you ever have to use manually um, somewhere in your, your assembled queries a value that is user submitted, always use the quote method. The quote method will basically uh, ensure that the value is probably quoted depending on the database that you are using. You can even pass it as a second argument that would tell it which attribute this value is matching against. So basically, it will then quote um, integers differently than strings because it will look up, oh, if you're trying to quote the username, the username is a string, I will quote the string as a string. And in the second case, you're trying to quote uh, the age. Age is an integer, so I will try to quote it differently. And by using basically those helper methods, you're always um, on the safe side with SQL injection and Rails. So it's not, um, not really easy, basically, to fall into this, this uh, pit and using, ever using user-submitted values directly in Ruby on Rails. Another very common, um, or not so common um, attack, but, but um, very nasty one that gained some, some publicity because Gmail was also um, vulnerable against it is JavaScript hijacking. Um, what it basically means is um, that Ajax applications that um, output JSON value are basically um, vulnerable to data leaks. Um, for example, you visit an, an evil page 
And this page has a script tag that references some JSON action of your page. It's, um, so, for example, in this case, we are on evil.com, and, um, and evil.com has a script tag that references transaction.json. And transaction.json is a valid action on your um, controller that will output all your recent transactions in JSON. JSON is JavaScript object notation, so it's basically valid JavaScript objects. And um, what the JavaScript engine will do if, you, if it ever sees such a request, it will basically try to eval it. Um, normally, you use JSON as a response format in your AJAX calls, and you will store this eval response in a variable or in an object or whatever. Um, people thought that, that you, because you're using a script tag, you, it's, it's basically the browser evals it, and then it goes away because it's never stored somewhere. But JavaScript is, basic, is, is a very flexible language, so it allows you, like Ruby, to redefine built-in method, uh, methods and objects. So what people started to do is then redefine, for example, the array object. And because this is um, an array, and what um, the JavaScript engine of your browser will then do, it tries to, to parse this, this response, so basically it calls the array constructor. And if you override the array constructor with a version that after constructing the object will just post it to, to um, another backend site, you can just steal all JSON information. So, in the, for example, in Gmail, it was uh, possible to steal all your address book. Um, in this case, it would be possible to steal all your past um, transactions. And because JSON is very, very po um, um, popular in Rails as, as a data transport format, um, it's quite easy to get vulnerable to it. You basically just have to have um, a publicly known URL that outputs JSON-like um, like username, last uh, messages, or last emails, or whatever. And if you, if you give it back as in JSON, um, an attacker basically can can access this um, this data. Of course, depending. Um, of course, if you have a valid cookie. So if I just visit evil.com and I don't have a valid cookie for my good side, I, this doesn't work. But if um, I don't delete my cookies, um, this is working. Um, what can you do against it, basically? Um, First step, don't put anything important into JSON responses. Um, doesn't really work always because JSON is a very nice format to exchanging data between your JavaScript front-end and the back-end. Um, another thing is use unguessable URLs. Yeah? Use an MD5 hash of the user ID plus a timestamp or whatever to get the last thread actions and so on. Um, just it's security by obscurity, not really um, secure, but uh, better than nothing. Or use a browser that doesn't allow the redefinition of built-in objects, like uh, Firefox 3.0 beta. Um, but uh, if you don't control the browsers of your, your, your customers or your, your end users, basically you're out of luck. So uh, in IE and so on, it's still possible to do this. Um, basically, the only solution against this problem, um, apart from not using JSON responses, is to don't give pure JSON responses. Prefix it with garbage. So basically, if... Um, the evil side is doing the script tag include, the, 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 the JavaScript engine of the browser will throw an, um, an error, a syntax error, because it cannot, um, it's not valid JavaScript anymore. So um, the array redefinition trick doesn't work because you, because you have a JavaScript error. Um, in this case, I just prefix it with high syntax error. And by doing this, the script tag um, attack doesn't work. What you then, um, as a valid user of this JSON response, have to do, basically, you have to filter um, this prefix before you access it. You can do this because 
you don't, um, because your JavaScript is executing in the same context as the original site, so the um, cross-domain restrictions doesn't, work, um, doesn't catch you here. So basically, you don't just eval the response, but you, pre you, you remove the first, in this case, like 10 characters, and then you eval the response. Um, the problem is that the current Rails helpers um, are not, um, yeah, not, not fit to do this. So basically, you have to do all this by yourself. You cannot choose, uh, use the, the included Rails helpers as said, um, like like um, peri periodically execute something or do do an update request and so on. This doesn't work. You have basically to manually um, write your own JavaScript library on top of Prototype or whatever library you're using um, in order to use this kind of trick. I think that DWR, a, um, a Java Ajax library, is doing this by default. Um, I, I think there is also a patch in the Rails track to... to um, attack these kinds of, of, of problems, but uh, Rails 2.0 is basically vulnerable to those kinds of attacks. So if you want to really protect from them, you have to prefix all JSON responses with garbage and then um, filter this on the client side. What about referrals? Uh, referrals can be forged very easily. Yeah, you can basically the evil side can have JavaScript that will um, Tittle with a referrer, and then if you're doing the request, the referrer is changed. So refer. No, forging referrer will also work with um, HTML HTTP request, but the attacker can only the attacker cannot use HTML uh, HTTP request. Um, Uh, so, I just thought, if, if the attack uses a script tag, obviously you can't forge your referrer. No, um, you could uh, forge it in beforehand, before basically in, uh, putting the, the script tag in it. There are different kinds of, of hacks to, to do this. Even, I think, um, if the, the, um, the client is using um, IE, this page could have an ActiveX object um, loaded before the script tag that will change the referrer and so on. So okay, relying on the referrer is basically a step, a better step than doing nothing, but it's um, it's not really um, secure. Basically, there are ways around it. Um, as, um, the same thing is we could you could check basically the IP address, match that you have like an um, a call to the page before a call to the to the JSON um, that will have matching IP addresses and so on. But um, referrers, IP address and so on can be forged, and also you have um, problems if somebody is behind a proxy where his IP address is changing you would break um, this kind of operation. So basically, the only real solution is either don't use JSON or don't put important stuff in it or prefix it with garbage so that the script attack doesn't really work. Um, and the, the reason why the attacker, um, just to show it to you, the reason why the attacker is not, um, cannot do the, the um, filtering of the prefix beforehand is because the attacker um, can only include it through a script tag, basically. Uh, there are some, some other tricks that, that work in IE and so on with iframes, but um, the attacker cannot do an, X, um, an XHR request or an, an XML, XML HTTP request because of the um, cross-site um, blockage, basically. So all browsers don't allow to, um, do JavaScript, to, to have JavaScript doing calls to other pages if you don't have scripts from those pages um, in your in the, or Basically, you know, if, the, if the page is not from the same domain. So this is why the attacker can only attack you through the script inclusion. I have a question. You yeah. mentioned that uh, 
uh, you could use secrets to protect post requests. Doesn't the same apply to um, to the get requests of... Basically, um, yeah, you, you can do okay. similar thing here. So it's it's very similar to um, cross-site request forgery. You can, you can always force to have um, a valid session identifier before accessing this data. Um, then um, uh, let's look at something that is Rails-specific, mass assignment. In, um, in Rails, typically, you, you always, uh, or by default, you're doing mass assignment. Um, let's look at, for example, at a user. You have a, basically a user object in your um, application. It has um, a login, first name, last name, password, and the important thing, an admin field that is either one or, or nil, uh, depending on, on if it's an administrator or not. And um, if you're using the code or the user object like this, basically, like it's, it's generated by default through Rails, if you're just taking all the parameters that the user submitted to you and update the user and then save it, um, what an attacker could do, it could just submit um, an attribute admin equals one. Um, because the, the update, um, update attributes call basically will just take all attributes that are in this um, request, update the user, and save it to the database. So um, basically a user could just upgrade to admin by doing this kind of request. And it's quite easy to fall into this um, habit because rates is by default generating um, code like this and objects um, and model definitions like this. Um, and what you have to do against it is basically tell your model that some kind of attributes cannot be set to mass assignment. Um, the first way to do this is using attribute protected. So this macro will, will basically say um, the admin field cannot be set through mass assignment. Mass assignment um, means this um, where, where the code reads update attributes uh, of params of user. Params of user is here a hash of all attributes that the user posted. Um, so this will protect against it and rates 2.0 it will raise an exception and rates 1.2 it will basically uh, just ignore the values. And the, the even better approach to do this is to, to basically not list the forbidden attribute but list all the allowed attributes using attribute accessible um, because by this way you're on the, on the secure side if you ever add new attributes. You don't, basically, if you forget to add them to this list, they're not vulnerable, but they're protected by default. Um, this is basically a problem that you see um, oftentimes in, in code. So every important attribute, like foreign keys, for example, if, if I'm reading um, a message or I'm reading like an, a document in a, in a content management system that is not um, tied to myself, so that I normally couldn't edit it. But I can, I can just edit, for example, the title, but it's, it's not owned by me. What I could do, it could update it and change the foreign key, because by default, the foreign keys are also just attributes, and point it to myself, and voila, it's my, uh, my document, I can delete it, I can do whatever I want with it. So you should basically protect all attributes that are not explicitly user-settable, all foreign keys, all like admin equals one, uh, uh, account paid, last time, account exit, and so on. So all those attributes should not be uh, settable through mass assignment. Um, the next thing that is also um, very popular but kind of problematic are Rails plugins. Um, plugins are very popular in Rails space because it's very easy to add functionality to your code, just include them, and it wor it's working. But the problem with it is that people often forget that um, just because a plugin is out there doesn't mean that it's secure, it's proven, it's stable, uh, it's, stable, it's mature, and so on. So um, even popular, very popular plugins like RESTful Authentication, maybe the most popular authentication plugin 
are vulnerable. For example, RESTful Authentication just um, had a, uh, um, a vulnerability, I think, three or four weeks ago, where basically every user who accessed um, the activation URL con could impersonate the first user in the database, and this is typically um, the administrator. Another problem is if you're using a lot of plugins, um, it's kind of, easy, uh, uh, kind of comfortable to not um, basically just get the code and put it in, in your um, subversion repository, but to use SVN externals. SVN externals are a mean of telling your source control system, here is a folder that is in reality sitting on another subversion repository somewhere in the net. And the problem with this is if the other site ever comes uh, um, unresponsive or not available for, for like uh, even a limited amount of time, if you're using the default rates deployment method, you cannot redeploy your code because uh, the subversion checkout will always fail because the external is not, um, is not there. So what you should do against it is basically always do a code review, even if it's a brief review um, of new plugins that you're using. Track plugin announcements, so just don't just um, get a plugin out of the wiki and take it, use it, and forget about it, but uh, subscribe to the page of the author, um, uh, look for security announcement and so on. And uh, if you're using external sources, external libraries, plugins, don't use SVN externals. Use um, either really copy the whole source in it or use Piston. Piston is basically a wrapper around SVN externals. So what it will do is basically you tell it, I want to mirror this remote repository, and it will, um, it will note, okay, you're mirroring this remote repository. It will then do a, uh, an, ex, um, an, a, uh, an export of this repository. So you basically have the code locally, but you'll still be able, uh, because it knows where this code was coming from, you will still be able to do uh, an update. So if you're um, using any kind of external sources, um, you should definitely check out Piston. Um, then uh, the, the basically, yeah, the last kind of, of um, denial of service attacks against, uh, or the last kind of attacks that I will talk about here are denial of service attacks. So um, as I said in the beginning, Rails is single-threaded. So typically, uh, if you remember the architecture, we had the, the proxy at the front and then some Rails instances. And this number, uh, typically you have very low number of instances to handle the load. So normally you have like eight mongrels per CPU and even quite active or large sites um, that are having like 500,000 uh, page impressions per day are only using 10 to 20 CPUs. So you have like 80 to 160 active Rails processes. And by default, in many setups, um, all traffic is handled by Rails. So this is a common Apache configuration to, um, for, for a Rails site. So basically, you define a, a proxy uh, with multiple backends in, in Apache, and you just tell it all the traffic going to root is redirected to the proxy. And if you do stuff like this, it's very, very easy to start a denial of service attack on your site if you have, for example, downloads or uploads or so on. If, you if your site ever handles downloads or uploads, uh, uploads through Rails, I just have to start X concurrent requests um, over throttled lines. So if you have like 80 um, Mongrel processes running, I just have to start 80 uploads and your page is dead because there are no, no Rails processes left to handle incoming traffic. And this is also valid for all kinds of slow requests like image processing. If um, I upload a picture to your site and you're doing like cropping and resizing and so on, so it takes like a couple of seconds and I upload like a very big image and I do it concurrent times, I basically deny it of service. Um, at, uh, basically, your, your site is out of service. 
Um, or if you're doing like a report generation where a page where, where a user can basically generate statistics of his uh, profile access over the last couple of months or so. And this is taking like 20 seconds. You just have to call this, this page 80 times and your site is dead. Um, mass mailing is also um, a very common problem of this or just normal down and uploads. And what you could do against it basically is... Um, Always serve all static files through a web server because they are much, much faster doing this. So it's very easy to do this through Apache and Lighty and Nginx, also for private data. So basically for data that nobody should be able to access, um, only an authenticated user, you can use Xsend file for this or uh, even use Amazon S3 for public and private files. So basically um, you don't block on downloads. And... Um, but this doesn't help against basically the problem of blocking by, uh, with uploads, image processing, and so on. And what you can do is basically contaminate slow requests. So um, instead of defining only one cluster for your whole application, you define several clusters for, all, for each specific task. So you have a cluster that handles normal traffic, you have a, a cluster that handles uploads, and you have a cluster that handles image manipulation or whatever. And you redirect to those clusters depending on the URL. So if somebody's attacking um, basically, your upload cluster is starting like 20 very, very slow uploads of, of a 10 megabyte file. Um, the rest of the page is working. So basically, he denied of service your upload functionality, but the rest of the size, site is still working because only this cluster is basically hard working and responding to those requests. The others are still working. So basically, you can contaminate slow requests. You can say, if the image processing takes up too much memory, for example, uh, um, this is also a common problem in Rails. Uh, most people use image magic for image manipulation and they do this inline, in, so basically in the same request that handles the upload, you do the processing. And uh, the result of this is, is that you can have Rails processes with like one or two gigs of RAM because they're running so high um, processing those images and image magic has not the best record of uh, keeping memory footprint low and not having memory leaks. So um, by doing this kind of separation, you can basically ensure that only, only this cluster will ever grow in memory. The others are only handling normal requests and will not ever use or ever call the image magic code. So by this way, you basically yeah, can just separate the functionality, separate tasks, and thereby ensuring that the rest of the site is working, even if one part of the site is not responding. So um, yeah, basically, this was a brief, uh, brief overview. Let's um, look at the conclusion. Um, in general, Rails had very, very good support for all kinds of security uh, preventions for all kinds of attacks that we talked about. It has very good support against um, SQL injection. It has very good um, HTML sanitization since version 2. Um, since version 2, by default, your site is basically cross-site uh, request forgery protected. Um, the problem is that the, all those things are very complicated. It's very difficult to get the setup right. Also, Rails, the Rails setup is not so, so straightforward like compared with a PHP setup or a J2E setup. We just have the application server. I just dump my WAR file on it and, and I'm done. I don't have to, to handle how many requests do I want to, to start up uh, to monitor all those processes on different machines. So the setup can be a little bit more tricky to get right, but still it's, it's a very very, very secure by default framework. So um, there are a lot of means that, that help you against attacks and uh, basically you should leverage all of those. So this was, this was it. Any questions?
Okay. Um, sorry, I can't talk very well. I have a gold. Uh, basically, I think there's a nicer way of protecting Rails against cross-site scripting. Uh, it was some Lightning talks two days ago. Uh, the XSS shield, which basically means that you don't have to manually H escape anymore. Everything will be H escaped unless it's f coming from a, a whitelisted uh, helper or yep. something like that. So in the future, that, that might be something you want to look at. Okay, thanks. Another question? Um, maybe let me add uh, that yep. uh, this uh, JSON uh, vulnerability c can be avoided by just adding JavaScript comment uh, signs. And so you don't have to add uh, crap, so you ca can easily uh, add and, and uh, put this JSON lo literal into comments and then uh, the ABL uh, would not work. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, the script inclusion does not work, it's a comment, and, and then you can just add the normal script uh, string manipulation to remove them and then evaluate. If it's working, it's great news because then you can basically reuse all the Rails helpers and so on, yeah. Okay, so thank you very much.